I'm Sean Collinsgrew, owner of Premier Outdoor Living. We specialize in building unique outdoor living spaces, and I am a hardscaper. Sean, how did you get into hardscaping? So I started out as a landscape contractor. I was doing a lot of maintenance. Just kind of started that because it was an easy thing to get into. I didn't really have much else going for me. So I was cutting lawns, doing mulch, all that kind of stuff. And I had the opportunity to work with a designer on one project and we built a deck and a patio. I loved it. I thought I could have a knack for this. I had the passion for it. So I immediately sold all of my lawn equipment and just kind of jumped into it. Didn't really think too much about it. And that was about five years ago now. What was that catalyst to make you, you know, decide that this is the thing that you want to go into? You sold all your lawn equipment, which I'm sure must have been a, a bullet to bite. But what, what was that catalyst to make you decide to do that? It was really just the passion that I had for it. I loved the creative aspect of it. I was making decent money doing some lawn maintenance, nothing crazy, but, uh, you know, enough to buy the house that I'm living in, all that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a decent business. So I knew this whole like sector could be profitable, but once I got my hands on the hardscape element and we were building, you know, deck and patio, it really sparked the creativity in me. And I just immediately knew that I had a passion for it and I'd be able to figure out how to make it work. So that was really it. The The creative aspect of it is really what drew me in and, and just gets me excited still. Mm-hmm. And it obviously shows in, in your creative designs that you're always coming up with, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. But when can you give us a little bit of a timeline as to when you started your, your lawn care business up until when you sold everything and started your hardscaping, your uh, premier outdoor living business? Yep. I started doing lawn maintenance and, you know, landscape maintenance kind of stuff probably in about 2012 and just very, very basic stuff. At that point, I was driving around in a pickup truck with a push mower and just kind of doing everything by myself. And then within a couple of years, I'd bought, you know, some bigger equipment, nothing crazy, just me and a couple guys. And that was, 2014, in the fall of 2014, we had the chance to work on that project where we built a deck, did some pavers, and probably a month after that, I sold all of my equipment right going into uh, leaf cleanup season. Didn't really have any prospects of work coming up, but you know, I just, I just knew. I didn't even think about it at that time because I just knew this was going to be for me, and I was going to figure out a way to make it work. So. That was uh, end of 2014, and then January 1st of 2015, I created a new LLC, changed the name to Premier Outdoor Living, and just kind of went all in on it. Very interesting. And then where where does your background come from with hardscaping? Where did you learn you know, everything from installation to, to your amazing design work? Where did this all come from? I really didn't have any experience whatsoever on installation of hardscapes. I was a little bit more familiar with the carpentry stuff because my dad owns a construction company. I'd worked a little bit with him. I didn't really have too many skills at all, but I was at least familiar with most of the tools. On the hardscape side, I really didn't know much of anything, but I just started out by reading the installation manual for uh, Teco Block and you know, got really well acquainted with that. And then just YouTube videos. That's pretty much it. 
Yeah, that's incredible that you can learn, you know, all these amazing skills and be able to apply them to uh, just from, you know, the tackle block guides are amazing. And, and then just watching YouTube videos. What, what about the design? Where did where did your, your eye for design come into play? That's just something I think I had more of a natural inclination towards was the design part of it. I've always been sort of creative and that's really what drew me in. That's that's the part that really gets me excited is the design aspect of it, coming up with some new ideas. So that just it kind of evolved. I felt like I had a knack for it, but through trial and error and, you know, doing a ton of designs, I've just tried to get a little bit better at it each year and with each project. And uh that's always my goal is to become a better designer with each project because that's that's where we want to take the business. We just want to keep coming up with new ideas and and keep it fun. For sure. Now, I've seen in your Instagram stories before you talking about, you know, building a brand around your business and you intentionally went the direction with this new business of creating these incredible designs for your clients in order to establish a brand around around these designs and your design process and your installations. Can you talk a little bit more about that that um, that decision that you made to to go ahead in this direction? Well, I knew from the beginning that I really wanted to focus on really creative stuff. I wanted to work for clients that would let me get creative and came to me for those ideas. So when I first started out, I had no experience, I had no reputation, so I knew. That I really had to just start building these type of projects. And in the beginning, you know, I wasn't getting paid probably what the projects were worth, but I knew I just had to get a portfolio together and then use that to start marketing myself. And with social media now, that was probably my biggest advantage was being on the younger side and just jumping on Facebook and Instagram from the beginning. And you can really build, you know, a brand very very quickly online if you if you know kind of what message you want to get across and that's what helped me from the very beginning within two years just consistently posting um, content from these creative projects that we were doing it was a steady stream of marketing material for me and that within two years it really developed a reputation for me locally where we were getting plenty of leads coming in and they were coming to me for that unique you know, just a design package. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about how you acquire these these clients of yours. Um, beginning, Starting from the beginning of your business up until this point, what has been the most powerful strategy to bring these leads into your business? And has it changed since the very beginning? So initially, it was pretty much all Facebook. Uh, I was doing Instagram, but that was more for like the contractor community that that's so uh, prevalent on there. So initially it was really Facebook and a lot of leads came through local Facebook groups just by like weekly posting in there whenever we would maybe finish a project, um, upload some really cool pictures to those local groups and that led to a ton of work. A little bit of Facebook advertising, but since we only need about 12 clients a year, it really isn't too hard to to fill up our schedule and and just get booked up. So that is really where it started. And now it's it's kind of shifting towards Instagram. We're getting most of our leads through there at this point. And I think that's really signaling that the user base on Instagram is getting a little bit older 
where they're in their 30s to 40s. And in my experience, those are the people that are really willing to spend money on their outside. You know, they're just buying a house. It's their forever home. And they want to invest money in their backyard. And it's not like they're looking at it like we want to get this out of it when we sell it. They just want a living space outside. And that's probably 95% of our clients are in like that 30 to low 40s age range, which is really cool because most of those people now are on Instagram. And it's very easy to, to follow what we're doing with the stories and with the posts and all that kind of stuff. Now, since you said that, uh, are are these clients are are they happy to see the the progress? Or do they follow you along with you on the stories to see the progress of their place coming together and then seeing the the final uh, product? Do they follow along with all that? Absolutely. That's that's how most of them found me from the the beginning. So it's one of the things that they're really looking forward to is you know now the vlog videos and the time lapses and. Just like the daily stories, most of the people are at work when we're there, so they can just kind of check in on us. And most of the time, we're doing a couple stories a day, just updating on progress of what we got going on. And it just makes them feel like they're more part of the experience, and you know they're really invested in it. And it's and it's really cool. It's it's a good communication tool. They always know what's going on on the project, um, just because I'm telling them and everybody else on Instagram. So it's. It's kind of been a, a really cool unintended tool for communication for us, and most of the clients love that. So you, you talked a little bit about, you know, you need just 12 clients per season to kind of fill up your season. So obviously you are turning down clients. What do you do once somebody contacts you? What Where do you take that conversation to kind of understand uh if they're going to be a client of yours, if you should pursue this further or if you should hand this off or what do you do with those cu- customers that uh, contact you that they're not a fit with, with you? So that's that's a really good question because that's something that I've kind of tweaked and am still working on really refining that process of pre-qualifying the leads because, you know, we <laughs> I don't want to go on 100 estimates for, you know, 80 of those being like 100% the wrong fit. So a lot of that's done over the phone. Well, first of all, if they find us online, they kind of start to get a sense of um, we really specialize in these unique, a little bit more high-end projects uh, on our Facebook, on our Instagram, and on our website. You know, we're always posting on you know how much our average projects are. So if they follow us from social media into our website and then uh, fill out a contact form. Those people are typically pretty good leads because they kind of know what we do already. It's the people that, you know, maybe just find us on Google and they call us and they want something, you know, very basic. And that's not really our client that, that we're looking to, to serve. So it's really just a quick phone conversation. Ask them what they're looking for. You know, ask if they have a budget. Most people will not give that over the phone. So I've just established that our projects start around 30000 and if somebody's open to spending at least 30, they're probably a good fit and we could probably do something for them. Um, that's not the case always, but that seems to be a good number where if they say, okay, yeah, I still want to have you come out for, for, uh, an appointment, you know, it's usually a client that, that is probably going to be a good fit. 
So after you have that initial conversation, maybe over the phone, um, where do you take that from there? Do you do you charge for initial consultations? Um, where do you take that initial meetup when you when you set an appointment and you show up? How how does that uh, all take place? First is that phone conversation. I talk about you know what they're looking for, what kind of budget to expect, kind of set that expectation. If that sounds good, I tell them I'll come out. You know, we'll, we'll talk about some ideas on site. I'll come up with a kind of a vision for the project along with your ideas. And then I'll kind of fine tune that budget. And I let them know that, uh, the next step in the process is a 3D design, which costs $500. It's deductible off the cost of the project that they move forward. So if they're okay with all that, then we do that uh, initial consultation. I meet with them on site and we just kind of talk ideas. I don't do. A fee for me just coming out kind of for two reasons. I think that can put off some people that could be very serious leads. So I do let them know that it's $500 for the design. So they know that if they want to pursue this, they are going to have to put out some money. But um, I also want a lot of times I'll go on site and even though it sounded good on the phone, it's a project that I kind of want to walk away from. And I feel like if you charge say, $200 to just come out for a consultation, it's a little harder to say, okay, now I'm here, but I'm really not interested in this. So it leaves that flexibility open, which I like. And it really forces me to just try to pre-qualify better through our website and through that phone consultation. Um, so that, you know, at least 75% of those on-site visits, I really feel like is a good lead. It could be a good fit, but I still have the option to kind of walk away from it refer them somewhere else and they don't feel like they're taken advantage of because they just spent $200. For sure. So a customer that either you talked to over the phone and they weren't a good fit with your business or you met with them in person and discovered they weren't a good fit. What do you do with those customers? So that's usually when I try to just refer them to somebody else. And they're typically people that are just looking for something kind of more simple. And I'm very upfront with them. I say, you know, I'll kind of set their expectations and say, this is where our projects start at. You know, if you're looking for something kind of simple, 15000 might be a good budget for you. And you could find somebody that does good work and will build what you want. It's just not what we specialize in. So I'll try to refer them out. You know, if it's something where they want something really nice and they want to spend $8,000, i will just say, hey, you know, our projects start at thirty, But to be honest you're not in a realistic frame of mind with that budget and I'll kind of set their expectations and I'll say, Hey, you know, you could go with a, a simple pressure treated deck, but you're still looking at say 10 to 12,000. And you know, it's still not a project that we're going to take on, but if I'm there, well, either on the phone or on site, I still like to give them some value and just say, okay, here's my honest opinion. I'm not interested in the project, but this is probably what you're looking at. And here's maybe two people that you can call that have good reputation. Absolutely. So let's get into a little bit of the design. And uh, after that initial consultation or during that initial consultation, what kind of questions are you asking the customer to get a sense of what you're going to include in the design? Or what are you showing up with in that initial consultation, uh, whether it's samples or, or catalog books, uh, to get an idea of what's going in that design? So when I talk with them on the phone, I just kind of let them explain what they're looking for initially. So, you know, they usually don't have a 
very definitive idea of what they're looking for, but they at least know, hey, I want a deck and a patio and we want a fire pit area. So those kind of questions kind of give me a sense of what kind of the, the total scope of the project could be. And then I can say, okay, you're looking at, you know, again, starting at 30, but what you're looking for is probably closer to that 50 mark. Um, and that just kind of sets the expectation right off the bat. And, you know, if they're good with that, we'll come out and really it's just, it's listening to them. I don't bring any samples or any catalogs or anything like that. Uh, they just, <laughs> my truck becomes way too cluttered with samples and catalogs for everything. So, uh, I just go out, we talk to them and a really good thing has just been our Instagram feed. So I'll pull that up and I'll say, okay, it sounds like you're looking at a project about this size and I'll show them a project that we did that has some similar features. And then I can say, okay, this one right here was say 45,000. I can show them another one and say, this is a $30,000 project and you can kind of start getting that budget tightened up with them just by showing them some previous projects, what was included in those and why they cost say 30 or 60. Landing these, these projects, um, you're, once you create that design, are you creating a quote around that design and then refining it after you meet that customer for say the second or third time, whatever it is, how do you, uh, create a quote from, from that? Like I said, the first step is that 3D design. So we'll come up with that uh, before we leave and we take that $500 deposit. We, again, set the expectations and say, for all those things that we talked about, you're looking at about 50000 So I'll come up with a design based on that. And sometimes I'll, I'll do a design where it has a couple added things that might take that budget to 60 But I'll give them you know, an easy breakdown on how they could get it back to 50 like, say, take out a gas fire pit take out a pergola, that kind of stuff. But um, with that initial 3D design, I send them over a quote and I always quote everything out with, you know, the highest end materials so that they can always work back a little bit if they want. But I don't like to upsell them later. I like to just be upfront, give them, you know, kind of that high number first and say we could always walk back, but this includes all the best materials. And, um, and that's kind of it. And then we'll, if that's maybe a little bit too high for them, I can tweak the design and, and, you know, kind of see what elements they really loved, which elements they're willing to part with, and then kind of just keep getting it down till we really hit their budget and we have a design that they really love. And I love that, you know, starting with the higher end, higher end installs, higher end pricing, because it's always easier to work your way down rather than trying to upsell your customer. Now, when it comes to payment plans, say, uh, you know, you've presented the quote, they like it, they're going ahead with it. What do you do with your payment plans with these customers? So we start out with 10% down to get on the schedule. So that's kind of what we're in the process of right now for 2020, just lining up projects. We take 10% down and we say, okay, you're first, you're second, you're third. And we give them kind of an expectation of when we'll be there, but it's it's very fluid. I just say, when we're done this project, you're next. But um, we can't promise anything because of weather, because of everything like that. And uh, then we take 50% two weeks before we start. And on most of our projects that are, say, like the two to three week range, we'll take another 30% payment. Uh, about halfway through, and then we take 10% minus that design fee uh, once we're completed. This leads right into my next question because a lot of these stories have to do with the payments or something, anything like that. But 
we like to talk about the horror stories or the the worst thing that happened as as a contractor for you just to get give others a sense of what they can do what they can implement in their business in order to avoid these situations or at least you know make it hit them a little bit less harder do you have a horror story that you've had with a client or a horror story on the job site that you'd want to share we really don't have uh, any horror stories with clients. Luckily, all of our clients up to this point have really been really awesome. The biggest thing, which in certain in certain situations was kind of planned with, you know, just going above and beyond to get those portfolio picks. But the biggest thing was just promising kind of too much to a client and not charging enough. And then still having to do it, you know, because you've you've set out the expectation, you've promised this and that. And, you know, it ultimately falls on yourself for not charging enough for that. So, you know, that can be kind of disheartening when you're halfway, three quarters of the way through a job and you kind of start seeing, okay, we still have a while to go. And uh, we've kind of already squeezed all the profit out of this. And there's this is not going to be a very profitable job. So that can kind of be disheartening when you still have a lot more to go on a project and you kind of realize at that point, man, I really didn't charge enough. And some some projects like that are going to be inevitable, and you kind of have to plan for that. You know, that's why you can't have razor thin margins because one job that doesn't go as planned is going to kill you. So all those things end up kind of evening out. Some jobs you do a little bit faster, some go a little bit longer, and it all kind of evens out if you if you kind of plan for that. So that that's really probably the biggest thing is. Is just realizing that you didn't charge enough, but you still have a lot of work to do. For sure. And I mean, we've all had those projects where that's happened to us and you start thinking of ways that you can kind of not really cut corners, but how can you squeeze more profit out of this because you're not going to make much on the job or you're not going to make anything at all. But have you ever gone back to the client to talk to them about it? Because I've seen this on, on Facebook groups before. It's it's debated widely about, you know, going back to the customer and saying, hey, you know, we're trying to get a little bit more money out of them or if you should just bite the bullet. What's your opinion on this? I think 100% you should just bite the bullet. Um, that's one thing that I'm very firm on and I really believe in is when we sign that proposal, that's the price and all of our projects are all encompassing. There's really no unforeseen circumstances. You know, there's little things that pop up that take a little bit longer, but you know, I mean, that all comes out in the wash and you know, I want our clients to really feel like they can trust us and we didn't, come in with one price and then keep jacking it up and keep upselling them and keep, you know, saying, Oh, this popped up that we didn't account for. And a $60,000 job becomes a $75,000 job and they're not really getting anything extra for it. It's just, you didn't price it right. I think you got to bite the bullet on it and keep that client happy. And it's going to hurt a little bit, but you know, if you keep going to clients and, and you keep getting money from them, you're not going to change your, your estimating, you know, procedures because you keep squeezing more money out of people. So if you really make it hurt on one of them and you really mess up, it's going to teach you a lesson and you're not going to do that, you know, many more times. There's probably going to be a couple times where another project that you just didn't charge enough. But um, I try to look at things from a wider lens and 
you know, just look at it for a whole year. And if you're pricing most of your jobs correctly, it shouldn't really be an issue. So I think in my opinion, you got to bite the bullet on it unless it's something that really, you know, they added something or I can't really even think of of anything unforeseen because we just kind of, it's your job as a contractor to know what could happen and kind of plan for it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree anymore with that statement. Now getting into the installation side of things, let's talk a little bit about tools. Uh, I like to ask what is one tool or one piece of equipment that you found out about recently that you are either going to purchase soon or you've already implemented in your business and it's really just blown you away with the amount of efficiency it's created in your business. Anything like that? Yeah, I would say probably the zip level. We just got that this year and it's just awesome uh, replacing a laser or a transit. And we use it for all kinds of stuff. We use it on the deck side. We use it on the patios and it's just so simple. It's awesome that you can go around corners all that kind of stuff, it, it sets up in like two seconds. So I'd looked at it for probably like a year or two. And, you know, I think it's $900. So it kind of scared me away a little bit. But as soon as I got it, I was like, this thing is amazing. And we use it all the time. I, I absolutely love that thing. Absolutely. And you're the second one who's also mentioned that one. Richard from RC Outdoor also said the exact same thing. The zip level is just incredible for sure. Yeah, I think because I don't even have a laser and I don't think he has a laser either either. And, uh, it's, it's just awesome. I love that thing. I don't see the need right now for me to get a laser. And, uh, this thing's just awesome. I, I love it. Getting into the installation side of things. Is there anything that you're really passionate about that you'd want to talk about to our listeners? Anything in, in terms of, you know, installation, whether it be the process of excavation, prepping the base, um, you know, anything in terms of that that you're really passionate about? I would say the thing that I'm most passionate about and I try to kind of inspire other contractors to do is get a little bit more creative with the the layouts on the pavers. And I show them some ways where we've done some really cool designs and we've designed it with zero cuts. So it doesn't really take any more time. It's a lot more planning initially, but um, I think people kind of see these, these really cool designs and they just think I can't find the clients that that'll pay for that. And when you start to realize that you can just start incorporating these things it's not really going to take that much more time if it's planned out properly. And then you can start to develop that reputation for the guy that does that really cool stuff. So it's not about selling it initially. It's just about doing it for a client. They'll be super happy because they got something unexpected. And then you can start to develop that reputation. And and that's something I've tried to do this year is show people through our videos and everything that we've done some really cool stuff that was really, really efficient. In some ways, it was easier than a simple, uh, you know, two-color paver combination, and it looks like a million dollars when it's done, and you know, it didn't take any extra time. So that's something I've, I've really tried to instill in other people that that's going to be your marketing material, and you can do a lot of things that aren't going to cut into your productivity, and it's going to set you apart as as a business and you know, as a brand. Getting into, you know, you talked a little bit about how you learned um, your your installation and everything. 
mostly online or from uh, from YouTube, do you have any mentors or people that you network with that are, you know, you gain inspiration from, uh, you learn a lot from that you'd want to shout out? There's really a, there's a ton of them. It, you know, we've talked about Richard RC Outdoor a couple times now, and he's become a good friend through Instagram. And he just started his business last year. And it just, it's so similar to the way I started my business by just going above and beyond and doing everything with that longer term goal in mind of building a brand, of setting yourself apart. And within a year and a half, I've seen it work for him. And it just, you know, kind of solidified that for me was anybody can do this. And here's, here's kind of the steps that you need to take to set yourself apart in a short amount of time. And he's killing it. So, um, he's definitely one. I mean, there's so many on, on Instagram that inspire me from a design sense, just from uh, a business sense, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's almost too much to name, but since we've already talked about Richard, I got to shout him out. He's the man. Any other resources that you use to either gain more knowledge about the hardscape side of things or even the business side of things? Uh, any other resources that you, you turn to when, uh, you know, you're trying to get a little bit more, more knowledge? Yeah, just books. I like to try to read at least, you know, maybe five or 10 books a year. And a lot of times it's going back and just think through a book that I've already read that I like that, you know, just kind of puts you in the right state of mind. And these days with, with the internet and with, I mean, you can get books on anything. If you think that you can't do something, it's just yourself holding you back because everything is right there. You know, you don't need to go to college you know, with the right attitude, you can go online, you can learn how to do anything. You can buy books on how to run a business, on how to market, everything. So uh, if if people aren't willing to do it, it's really just excuses because everything is accessible to people now. And most of it's free or very cheap, like a $20 book that can totally change your business. So wrapping up this interview, I've got one last question, question for you, Sean. And that is... You know, you've obviously learned a lot, especially going back, way back to when you started your lawn care business. You've obviously learned a lot about business, about hardscaping, about everything that you've got going on right now. So what is that one thing that you know now that you wish you'd known from the very beginning? That's a tough one. Um, I think probably just the importance of of your brand, and, and that's so much more important than the profit margins on one singular job and really your brand is what it's bigger than you. It's, it's how people perceive you from the outside that you don't know that you've never interacted with. So, um, just really the power of that. And you can really make yourself out to be whatever you want through your marketing uh, materials and through the content that you put out. So I think I would have dove into just even more content from the beginning and, you know, maybe started a YouTube channel like a couple years earlier, you know, done the vlogs before this year and all that kind of stuff, because all that stuff put together, it makes you look like an authority figure in your field. And that's worth a lot of extra money for um, a client to pay you because they trust you. They feel like, okay, this guy's a little bit more expensive, but I have no doubt that he is going to, you know, surpass our expectations. And I've seen all of his projects and they all look awesome. So, that would probably be it, just just jumping even more into the content from the beginning. 
Sean, this has been an excellent interview. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and joining us here. We've learned a lot from you, and I just want to hand the floor over to you. Let our audience know where they can find you online, where they can reach out to you. So you can follow me on Instagram at Premier Outdoor. I'm also on Facebook. You can hit me up on my personal account. It's just Sean Collins Crew. And the thing I would really, really, really appreciate if you checked out is our YouTube channel. It's something I've put a ton of time and effort into this year. I'm trying to give away all my knowledge on installation, on branding, on everything. And that's Premier Outdoor Living LLC on YouTube. Check it out. Subscribe. And um, you can hit me up through any of those platforms with any questions and, uh, you know, just anything to connect.